And indeed, you are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM today, and it's International Men's Day. Day. Well, <laughs> welcome to this special show. I'm in the studio with Andrew and Peter. We've switched seats. It's been switched the hot seat. Welcome, boys. Welcome, yes. Thank yes. you very much. You got it right for him. He is the boy. I am the man. <laughs> are you? Mm. I like it. Well, this is, this is what <laughs> I wanted to start the show with, to talk about your relationship. Now, are you ready to go, you know, like, can we talk about relationships? Well, we men, thought men generally don't, but yes. We thought we kept it well hidden. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> You've known each other for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been on air for, uh, for about that long too. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, Pete came in just as a, as, as a guest. Yeah. On the show. I'd been running it for a little while. Uh, mm. Pete came in as a guest and so then become a recurring guest and now, yeah, certainly. Because we got such pa- great feedback on that day. <laughs> the phones from, from were, Pete's mum. Yeah. <laughs> she kept ringing up, putting on voices. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, how perfect. Mm. No, so, that's been good. When you first came in, obviously, you came in as a guest. So your relationship was quite surface level. And I hadn't known Pete uh, very long at all by then anyway, socially. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes, no, no. 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 So you, so so it's a relationship that's actually generated on, uh, through our on-air um, work. Really? Mm. So what what communication do you have outside here? Not I never not talked much? to him. No. <laughs> Why would we? We talk to each other for two hours every week. That's <laughs> enough for me. Yeah, it's a bit like no. no. I was going to say it's like the um, the MythBusters. You know, those guys haven't even been to each other's house. Oh, really? Even though they've been together for so many years performing those programs. Really? Yeah, they've done even yeah, no social com- yeah. commitment at all. Uh, no, Pete and I. Um, uh, tragically, I think we talk nearly every day. On the phone, don't we? Oh, no. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Really? That's A lot of it's to do with this, but there's other side as well because we have a social... Well, we've got similar interests. Well. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, ride a good, I ride a good motorbike, he rides a dud. <laughs> yeah, so obviously just the way he tells that he knows it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you take the mickey out of each other quite a lot. Mm. That's very easy with him. Mm. Now, no with mickey <laughs> taking, do you keep it... Do, do you know that you care enough about each other that can you call each other out if the mickey taking gets a bit close to the edge? Oh, no, we just punch each other. Just keep going. Yeah. Generally, Blake's probably of our era too. You're probably in a yeah. comfortable relationship. You, you, there isn't a, a, li- a limit. Yeah. Yeah, you can... Because you know that whatever he says, no matter what he says, yeah. it, there's nothing, there's no malice in it. You just got he a really good He thinks there's no solid. malice. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> well, all, and then it, all you're doing is just up in the game. It's just gamesmanship. So then, okay, yeah. you said that. Right, I've got oh, to find yeah. something else I've got to come back with. That's right. That's all. So it's quite playful. I mean, really, we've got an interview with Gus Walland in a minute. And mm-hmm. really, your Who's relationship... Just this presenter off, you know. Really? Yeah, yeah. Family does radio. The really? grill tree. Pretty <laughs> oh, okay. cool dude, actually. I'm a bit of a fan. Oh, yeah. I am a bit of a fan. He did an amazing show called Man Up, yeah. which I can highly recommend. Mm. Um, Especially for Andrew. Andrew, he needs to. Really? Man Up, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And you said it's on iView or something. It is. It's yeah, on okay. iView. And they've also yet, got a website that's dedicated to... To cool. um, to this uh, to this way this encouraging people to talk encouraging men to actually lose the man up so man up would be actually let yourself be more tender let yourself be more expressive Look, don't yeah, don't hide and that's all well and good and I understand where that's all coming from and there's a lot more of that around and that's great but it's really difficult for I think for people of area younger guys sure because they're mm. growing up with that mm. in the background but I think people at a, at a certain age. It's probably really difficult to do that, to change the habits of a lifetime you can't to do that sort of thing. Yeah. Make an old dog. New tricks. Yeah, I can't maybe. get into new yeah. tricks. But yeah. it's oh, interesting because what one of the couple of the psychologists who we'll talk to through this talk about the fact that that's exactly it. When they're working with young people, mm. the patterns and behaviours are slightly closer to the surface. They're not as embedded. But with older guys, it is. It's mm. hard to turn that ship around. Mm-hmm. But also um, what Tom Harkin pulls out, who is a facilitator on Man Up, he says that... Older people don't appreciate just how influential they are with the younger generation. And as much as the younger generation look like they're not respecting them, in fact, in all his dealings with young people, they say that they have enormous respect okay. for that older generation. So what Tom will say in his interview, which I'm going to spoil right now, hmm. is that he really he really calls that older generation to walk the talk and, oh, okay, and yeah. try and be brave to be a bit vulnerable. We're a different breed. Yeah, and it's hard, it is hard. Hmm to steer a ship a different way when that's all you've known. I think it's a bit. It's probably a little bit easy now because it's so talked about and, yeah. and, and, and it's so accepted that if anyone is going to, you know, like open, open up a bit, up. at mm. least they've got the opportunity and they're not so uh, um, concerned or afraid about it. But it's still uh, internally, it's yeah. very difficult to do, I think, for a lot of older people. Yeah. So, Men's Day. Yes. Yay. What does it mean? 
What, okay. what, what, what are the goals of Men's Day? Because I've, I've got an opinion spiel, on yeah. this. Okay. Well, um, it was <laughs> interesting. Like everything. Like that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It came out of me doing International Women's Day. Yeah. And everywhere I went, um, all the women would go, oh, well, yes, it's about time because every day is Men's Day. And I took a little bit. Really? Yeah, and this is yeah. the thing. Yeah. 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 I took a We'd little, say the other. This International Men's Day, the focus is very much on improving gender relations between men and women, addressing... All for that. Addressing the problems and challenges that men face, promoting gender equality, highlighting positive male role models. Moles. Male role models. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? And creating a safer and better world. So, in a way, all it's doing is really saying we just need to actually... Yeah. Well, I think, look, I think in general, and I think you'll be asking a lot of people this, and I, I'm probably a bit I'm out of touch to say this, but at the end of the day, I think most men are happy for equality in all sorts, whether it's you know race, religion, yeah. or, or whatever. It doesn't matter. But I think what happens is it's the other ones, the perceived minorities... Don't want equality. They want. They want to go that extra mile. Yes. They want more than yes. equality. You know, yeah. and uh, I think that's what sort of burns people up. I'm happy for equality. Yeah. Let's yes. let's all be equal and yes. let's leave it at that. Yes. But not like okay then. I've supposedly had an advantage for many years, like our gender, mm. or you know, white Australian taxpaying mm-hmm. males or whatever. You know, but. Let's just make everyone equal. Let's not try and get that advantage still. I think that's what people are well, trying to get. Well, that's where you call, cause division. And you're absolutely right. Yes. I've noticed it in women. Um, I, I certainly, in the business world that I was yeah. working in, we all tried really hard to be as male as we could. But that was a complete disservice to the fact that we're female. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. be a female in that yes. environment. You don't what, have what, to be male in that What's wrong with that? What's wrong with girls exactly. being girls and playing with dolls and boys yes. being boys and playing with cap guns or something? Yeah, you know? or like, doing whatever you whatever want to do, is, but yeah. at least owning the fact that you are female. So mm. it was a really interesting... Uh, mix and saying I actually didn't want to be mm. male in that mm. in that male environment. Yeah. I was happy to be female, but I had to. You should be able to celebrate that. Yeah. Yeah. If should. we you cast our minds back, what started this rot for guys when they stopped caning them in school? <laughs> For women, when they gave them the vote. Simple. <laughs> oh, my pe- Lord. <laughs> Tragically, Pete can remember that day. so not helping the cause right now. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, it's a lot of things that, you know, you can have, and it is, I think from a male point of view, you just see these things, and, you know, I don't get hung up on it, but you just see it as, as a bit of a thing. You can't have male-only um, gyms, but you can have female-only gyms. Yes. yes. As a Boy Scout, you have to let women join, uh, girls join up, yeah. but girl guides uh, aren't allowed to have boys. I know. You know, so it's all this sort of stuff. You think, I, I go, I, I get where it's coming from, but yeah. at the end of the day, it's got to be all on or not on. I agree. On. Yeah. I agree. It, it is interesting, isn't it, that that disparity between, mm. you know, what, what the girls can have and what the boys can have. And, uh, you know, as a female, I understand that it's very intimidating sometimes. It's reverse discrimination. But we can't, it is reverse discrimination. And it leads on to one of the points that you made about awareness of the challenges facing men. Mm. That same sort of inequality flows through to awareness and promotion of, of women's issues versus men's issues. So when you talk about breast cancer, what's the first thing you think of? Breasts. <laughs> Hello, women. Oddly enough, that's, that's a topic on that one. Men's mind most of the time. Ago. But, women, but there's all the McGrath Foundation and but all these yes. other things. Men get breast cancer too. I know. Mm. Men get prostate cancer. Yes. Men get testicular cancer. All yeah. these other lots things. of things and, as well. Yeah. And prostate that kills more people than, uh, so, than breast cancer. So when you're talking far behind in, in yeah the, the yeah and, and how much do you hear about prostate cancer? Yeah, Not right, enough. Yeah. Nothing. Not enough. So why is it that way? I agree. I agree. And yeah. far more funding in breast cancer than yeah. in oh, look, And that's cancer. great. Don't get this wrong. That's, that's, that's fantastic. But, you know, like, mm. okay, if you want to do that, let's balance it up. Look, have everyone. Have Domestic violence issues. Yes, the statistics are that it women are victims more than men. Yeah. Far more, yeah. However, it does. men can be victims too. Definitely. And it's DB is just, just not physical. Mm. It can be... Emotional. And they're less likely to uh, put their hand up to it too, because uh, look the consequences how, how, are suicide. How, yes, because you're not going to um, you're not going to put your hand up and say, "Yeah, my wife's battering yeah. me." How, how how unmanly is that? So why can't we level the playing field? Mm. DV is physical and emotional. Mm. Okay, the ladies suffer physical more than the emotional. Maybe mm. I don't know. I'm not an expert, but the guys suffer emotional, and the guys can suffer physical as well. Yeah, because guys can't fight back. Mm-hmm. A woman hits a guy, that's okay. Mm. A guy hits a girl, woo. A, a good guy. There are yeah, yeah. bastards yeah, yeah. out there who do so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I think and it's the same as, you know, a, a, 
I don't want to go down the track too much, but you know, if if a guy has been um, you know sexually harassed by a woman at work, mm-hmm. it'll be yeah, right. Yeah. What's wrong with her? But the yeah. other way around. But it, it can, can happen. happen. It only has to be a sniff of the other way around, and there's all sorts of drama. In yeah. terms of teacher-student relationships, what do you hear more of? Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, the female right. teachers with mm-hmm. male students. Absolutely. Certainly the molestation is the other way around, but, mm. you know, it's about equality it's responsibility, and level isn't playing. It? We've yeah. got to, yes, bring – if we want equality, there has to be a level playing field. Mm. And and do you know what's really killing it is these quotas, and now the politicians are on yeah. it. We've got to have so many female senators or whatever. All the rest We've of got it. to have so Doesn't many – Doesn't mean to say they're good, just uh, the numbers. You transsexual indeterminants and all the rest of it. Why? Mm. It should be merit-based. End of story. It doesn't matter what sex you are, which creates that equality. It's all about merit. Not stacking the numbers. And there's a lot of women... Okay, they say the glass ceiling. A lot of women don't want to be there. Hmm. A lot of women want to work and stay at home for family and stuff like that. They're quite happy to do that. Yeah. Look, again, I think it's about... As are some men, too. Mm. Oh, yeah. Letting the person letting the person choose what they're ready to do. That's right, yes. having a not having a, and not yeah, having it forced down their throat. But no. merit based, exactly Absolutely. what it is. That's right. Yeah, and because yeah. uh, that only creates greater division. Yes. You know. Yeah. And it should be okay. Everyone is equal, and you get a go. But not and the racial discrimination and all the rest of it. You go. Well, hang. It's all the way it's written up. It's all one way. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It doesn't work both ways. But so, yeah, from our point of view, it's about equality. Yeah, yeah. and we're quite happy. And like I said, more than happy for that on on all levels. Yeah. yeah. Okay, responsibility and equality, or equality and then responsibility to make sure that it is equal mm. Mm. for all. All right, love it. Thank you very much. Sorry, we wrote <laughs> on a bit. No, uh, it was a good Jumped rant. Jumped on their soapbox, it's had a, a bit of a wind. I like it. We Let's did start. that at Show of Shimoda, yeah, too. Right, yeah. uh, <laughs> by the way, did you know we do a show from 10 a.m. till midday every Saturday called Show of Shimoda? <laughs> and, and that's it, where you'll find them. And, uh, and thank you for that. It is all about men entertainment, isn't it? Well, we say that, but yes, it's certainly open for everyone. I that's was right. listening to it in the car this morning. Yeah. I listened to it on Saturday mornings. Yeah, I, had, I like it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I have never been like car racing, but you know, yeah. I like your calling people out for what they do at the. The, the cop this, the cop uh, this. Yeah. that's yeah. good. Clock of the week, yeah. Clock of the week, yep. All right, well, I'm going to go through some statistics and then we are going to do... Oh, that sounds boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Time to go, he says. Quick, run! <laughs> Thank you very much, No boys. problem. Look, thanks very much, Lucy. And, and uh, yes, congratulations and have a happy Men's Day. Yes. And we'll see you at the uh, Show Shimoda Heart Christmas get-together on the 10th of December out at Hart's Training Facility at St. Ives. I will look forward to it. Not I will look ad. forward Thank to it. Yes. I'll come on and be interviewed on your show. Okay. Yep, fair enough. There you go. Because I'll, I'll think of one of those things. You did put the call out. If anyone's got a good uh, cop this or whatever, I'll come with one of those. There you go. Excellent. Okay. I'll audition, obviously, because you may reject it. <laughs> oh, that's right. There's a whole process you've got to through, go okay. through, plus a dress code. Okay. Well, I can't wear my Superman T-shirt. Uh, so long as it's in a bikini format, no problems. Mm-hmm. Okay, so well, you're well, not so- going to get me there. That's <laughs> <laughs> so not going to happen. Okay. Oh, you can do so Superman and wear it on the outside of your clothes. <laughs> there we go. Take care, guys. Good on you. Thanks, Thank Lucy. you very much. So back to those statistics. Um, you know, we, we, we look, as we've heard now, suicide is, is the end result. One of the things that struck me when I was doing the research was um, an article and a, um, an audio from Kira Dart, who lost her mother, who, um, who ended up suiciding. She, her quote was, if you think your family are better off without you, you are wrong. Don't do this. It's a permanent thing. And John Brogdon also raised a really salient point. He said, in the campaign to destigmatize mental illness, we've forgotten to tell people that suicide is the wrong choice, not a shameful decision, not a selfish decision, but the wrong decision. So we have to have the conversation in order to look at how we can get to that end point, um, how we get to that end point, I should say head upstream to some of the underlying hurts that uh, get put in a box and perhaps name uh, in the name of resilience, being a man, toughening up, only to see them festering and uh, underneath and infiltrating our day-to-day self-esteem and well-being. You know, the, these statistics are big. The number of suicides has increased by more than 20% in the last year, an increase from 2,500 suicides a year for 10 years. Been, it's, that's what it's been at. And now 3,000 in 2015 and, and increasing, you know, what is happening. Eight Australians per day are dying by suicide. 
I mean, that's a national emergency just there. Can you imagine those statistics in any other illness or disease being swept aside? And it's the number one cause of 14 to 54-year-olds, males. The isolation and loneliness play a fundamental role in being a factor of suicide. And I hope that we can really keep this conversation going and make sure that, um, that we keep talking about it, that we keep raising awareness of how we can change, change the, way, um, the way suicide is viewed. I've got an interview now um, that I'm going to play that I've, that I've had on the... Uh, that I recorded yesterday. Um, it's an interview with Tom Harkin who did a show called uh, Man Up. He runs, actually, let me just quickly get my, here we go. He's an international um, speaker. He runs groups of all different sizes and ages through authenticity, honesty, and a unique conversational style of facilitation. The result is a refreshing dialogue that gets to the heart of the issue, enabling us to build a new capability in the form of applicable emotional intelligence. That, you'll understand what that means by the end of this interview. And that ensures meaningful change. He's also a very new dad, so I thank him once again for the interview today. I apologize for the quality of the audio, but don't let that distract you from the essence of what he's sharing. There's some really gold nuggets in here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, um, I love the blurb that I was given about you being saying that your passion is rewriting the rule book on masculinity for, by creating spaces for deconstructing cliches and courageous change. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad job. I've obviously been an avid fan of the ABC's Man Up show. I think it's a great start to open up the conversation. Um, and, and I hope that by doing shows like this, what we're going to do is, is keep the conversation going just that little bit longer and maybe take a little bit deeper. Yeah, great. So one of the things that I noticed in the class that you did with the young people is that you created a very safe environment uh, so that they could actually open up. Was that specific to that age group, or do you need to do that with every age group that you work with? Uh, I think you need to do it with every age group. Uh, it's, it's one of the most elusive things that I find to working with people is getting to the truth, um, and that's, that's that's often something that people can't actually show you by choice. It needs to be created um, in a in an extraordinarily safe environment where people begin to talk in a way that often they haven't before they haven't heard other people talk that way and they find themselves speaking to their peer group and and they're also you know they're surprised you know this is stuff that they haven't spoken about either and the the, the most important thing to be able to create that dynamic is that they feel that they will be judged for nothing that they say and and I'm not heading in there as a facilitator or a practitioner trying to change them necessarily. I just want to create an environment that gives them a choice about where they head from here. I think it's very rare to find an individual that relishes the opportunity to walk into a room and, and be told how to live. I think very few of us want that, you know. I think we want to be autonomous and we want, you know, we, we want to be the hero of our own story. What We want to discover the answer we don't want it to be handed to us and so mm. it's important to create an environment where um you know you can put all of the pieces out on the table create a really honest dynamic so the truth is is out on a platter in front of everybody and from from my findings most people willfully jump at the opportunity to make a discovery for themselves and a change for themselves but are the things that you've noticed in, say, the the most common stereotypes, I guess I'm asking mm -hmm. about, that you've seen in some of the young boys that you've been working in or the ones that are in school? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think it's the, the stereotypical um, stereotype. The, the great thing about young people is the, the thin veil at that age. Um, it's not as heavy set as when mm. when you meet them when they're older men. Um, yeah. it's, it's in its embryonic stage. But the gist is that men are strong, men aren't weak, men, you know, don't have emotions unless anger. Um, 
they sort out problems quickly and swiftly and they don't labour on things or over talk. Um, they're fun, they're messy, um, they're hairy. <laughs> they, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's almost ridiculous. The, the, um, the stereotype is ridiculous. And yeah. the, and the, and and how common it is, you know, across the country, wherever you go, the same words are said. That must be interesting because you work internationally as well, so I can't imagine yeah. any different. Whatever country you go to, they they still yeah. think men should sort out their issues quickly and That's efficiently. Yeah. yeah, different by degrees, but but the same essence is there. Um, in the work that I've done in Ireland, um, you know, their their culture is a bit more. Um, poetic than ours, you know. There, there, there's more acceptance of men singing, writing. You know, they're an expressive culture in that sense. They're lyrical, um, mm. but the same essence of the masculine paradigm stands. You know, that men suppress their emotions in those cultures. They're they're there to be strong, not to be weak, and so vulnerabilities off off the cards. And, um, the, the the same stereotype holds. It's just a little bit, um, its form is, is slightly different, slightly softer, slightly more healthy, to be honest. Yes, they allow at least that expression of creativity. That's it, and it's a norm to be able to articulate your emotions, but the interesting thing is whether they actually use that ability that they have. So oh, wow. in working in Ireland, um, one of the things that blew me away most was Working with these young people, it's the same inability to express, the same fear of judgment, of being truthful about what's going on for me and who I really am under the surface of a of a limiting stereotype. Yet when they decide to talk, their articulation of emotion is mind blowing. Like I found myself writing notes of the way that kids were articulating themselves because it was so impressive um, and so inspiring. Whereas I find in in our culture in Australia. We have much more limited vocabulary when it comes to emotions. So you're battling two things: one, the you know removing some of the um, hold of the stereotype that says not to express, and then two, even having a vocabulary that allows you to be able to express yourself once you've made that choice. So may I ask, moving forward from that point, if if what we apply, what you've observed in Ireland back in Australia. If yeah. we can educate that next generation to be emotionally literate, to understand what an emotion feels like in the body, um, yeah. what those initial reactions start to feel like, if we can build that as a known experience, then again, it's up to them whether they use it, but given the opportunity to use it, they're going to actually be able to process things far more quickly. Entirely, yeah. Mm. So it's, a, it's a much easier gap to bridge. If you've got the ability, um, then, you know, then, then choice is um, your only obstacle. And, uh, we know, when we look at situations like anger management, uh, self-esteem, not getting into cars with people you don't want to get into cars with, mm-hmm, getting into mm-hmm. situations, you know, if you can express yourself, that is the key to being able to get out of those situations and potentially still have the mate at the end of it or, or maybe influence the mate in a way that takes them away from that decision. Yeah, I completely agree. So how can fathers be good role models for this emotional intelligence? Wow. Um, well, <laughs> Big I'm, question, I'm, only, I'm I, I, only a new father myself. But okay. um, one of the things that surprised me initially when I was running a lot of the um, work with boys, and maybe it shouldn't have surprised me, but um, but it did. It, it was the power that older men have with, with young males. Um, you know, whether whether young guys openly express um, their admiration for older men or not, I can tell you from working with young men, it is incredibly strong. Probably stronger, a stronger driver than their peer group, um, which I found really surprising. Um, so in, in that sense, I think that older men as a whole, whether it's fathers, uncles, older brothers, um, coaches, you know, whatever form or role that that older male takes. I think the important thing is to embody the change that 
um, that you're recommending to a young man. Yeah. And I said this on the documentary. I think that so many, you know, fathers and older older males and role models wouldn't think twice before they said to a, a young guy, well, yeah, I want them to be able to express themselves. I want them to be able to talk to me if they've got an issue. I want them to be able to reach out and ask for help. Um, I don't want them to feel that they need to hide it from me or that they're gonna, going to be judged. Um, and the thing that I said to Gus is, you know, we need to be asking, are they willing to do those things? Yeah. You know, are our fathers and uncles and role models, are they able to admit their vulnerability? Because young guys look, you know, they, they look at action and they look at embodiment. And so if they've never seen their dad cry and they've never seen their dad admit vulnerability and they've never seen their dad talk about any issues that he's struggling with, what example do they have to follow? Yeah. So the father can say, yeah, it's really important that you do these things, but if, if their dad isn't actually exemplifying them, then, then they don't know how. It's too far, again, it's that gap. It's too far to jump. Um, yeah. So that, that's the only thing that I could recommend is step into the vulnerability, step into the awkwardness and, and understand that um, your son won't define you through a moment of tears. It will just humanise you. You'll still be judged on your enduring patterns of behaviour, not on one moment of vulnerability. That's beautiful because also what you're saying is you've got to walk your talk. You do. Entirely. Your son defines you, he isn't listening to you. Perhaps what you've been doing is not walking your talk. And you've been saying one thing and doing another and they're going, okay, well, I'll go with the bit that you're doing. You know, you're saying actually if you can show that you're human and you're vulnerable, you can also be a strong man and a leader and a beautiful husband and father, then that's what they grow up knowing you can be all of those things. not Entirely. And, and, that, and also that it doesn't need to be ready-built. In terms yeah. of you, you don't need to be, you know, a master at expressing yourself. Um, even better for for young guys to see older men grappling with this, with these new and and um, and green skills that we haven't had the chance to practice because the stereotype yeah. hasn't allowed it. So yeah. let's fumble through it together and try and work it out together and call out the awkwardness if it rises, but don't let that stop us from connecting with each other and expressing what's going on because we know that that's hurting us. Thank you so much, Tom, for taking the time to talk to us. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. There you go, Tom Harkin. Um, lots to think about in that uh, in that interview, and lots to bring through into our our next interview. Now, one of the industries highlighted as being a major area of concern for suicide was the building industry. In Queensland, apprentices and other young workers in the building industry are twice as likely to commit suicide compared to the national average for other young men. And in 2003, it was reported that over a four-month period, 41% of all construction industry deaths were related to suicide. In 2006, a major report was commissioned into suicide in the Queensland building and construction industry. Amongst its findings into the reasons for the high rates of suicide in this field in particular, it noted that there appears to be a culture within the industry that endorses heavy alcohol use, bullying behaviours directed towards apprentices specifically. And it went on to say that the high rates among the younger workers in that current study could be related to the pressures associated with joining a masculine industry, which, as reported from focus groups, has a bullying culture, particularly directed towards apprentices and those new to the industry. Now, with over 20 years' experience in the building industry, my next guest... Adam Warburton, has written a blog with Tony Steedson, who is a bricklayer by trade. The blog's title lifts the lid on the bullying culture within the building industry and asks us to deeply consider why we have allowed this culture to proliferate when clearly it serves no one, neither the abuser nor the abused. Now, that um, article, I will I will link to this blog, but for now, I have live and in-person Adam Warburton on the radio. Welcome, Adam, to Triple H on International Men's Day. Hi, Lucy. Thanks for having me. 
It's been really beautiful to, um, while I've been doing the research, it was great to come across your blog that really calls out and uh, calls out the abuse that goes on within the industry and actually looks at something that has been taken as normal, which clearly isn't normal. So could you set the scene and tell us a little about what goes on in that building uh, industry and the image that it puts forward? Yeah, look, I suppose the the interesting thing about the building industry, it's very similar to the mining industry or, for that matter, the uh, shipping industry in that they're heavily male-dominated industries. Um, something like 98% of all workers in, in construction or around that affect a, a male. And so we actually have an opportunity to look at um, a cross-section of society of what we would actually look like um, perhaps if we, we didn't have women in the world. And, and I know I sound, that sounds strange, but I'm always reminded when I think of the construction industry of that, that famous movie, uh, Lord of the Flies, um, which was a movie basically about saying what, what would happen to, to civilization without civility. But what was really interesting about that movie, it was all boys that were lost on an island in a plane crash and gradually they they succumb to, um, I, I suppose, like a, a primitive state, if you like. And in a lot of ways, it's very reflective of construction. Um, construction is a very, very physical trait, a very, very tough trait to be part of. Um, and what has invariably happened, if you look at the culture of building, is that that toughness gets transferred from just being a physical thing becoming an emotional thing and so in construction um, guys are very open in one sense and that they're very direct but in, in another sense uh, guys don't talk about much at all and it's a very restrictive industry if you like in, in terms of expression and it if you wanted if you wanted to describe hyper masculinity the first thing that would come to mind to be honest is a tradesman and that's a that is an image that is um and through no fault of their own, but if you look at any of the building shows on television, um, if you look at the media, if you look at uh, the unions themselves, that form of masculinity is actually celebrated, very, very much so. Mm. And so when a young kid comes into the industry, it's, to be honest, quite a shock because uh, I, I know that we all experience bullying to varying degrees at, in high school, um, in high school in itself can be very, very harsh for a kid. But when he hits the building industry, it's different. And he's he's in an industry that, uh, if I may say, has a lot of pressures placed upon it um, from the top down. Um, there's a lot of pressure on time. There's a lot of financial pressures. And, and maybe it's not different to a lot of other industries in that regard. But there's a lot of pressure when a kid comes into that industry. And... If an apprentice is expecting support from his boss, say in a fatherly way, the chances are he's not going to get it. And what he's actually going to get is um, a very hard, hard approach to the way he's taught to learn his trade. Um, and, and one might even say abusive. Mm. Um, and the end result is, even if we don't talk about suicide, we have an industry with an incredibly high burnout rate. Um, most guys that you speak to by the age of 40, they want out of the industry somehow. And the only reason they're still in it is because they don't know what else to do. Now, that's a huge indictment on an industry that really is a, is a major cornerstone of, of, of economics. The fact that by the time you get to 40, most men don't want to be in it. And uh, to me, that says a lot about the problems that we've got to start addressing in this industry if we really want to understand why suicide is actually so high. Do you think that it's both physical and emotional pressures that they feel under? Oh, look, absolutely. Um, the physical pressure is actually not that difficult to deal with. And to be honest, if you really sat a man down and talked to him about, um, him about what he does, he actually loves being on the tools. It's, it's quite rewarding. But all of the other pressures that go with it, the time, the deadlines, the unrealistic deadlines, um, the kind of make-it-happen type mentality that, that rules the industry, that's what guys react to. 
And in that reaction, what they tend to do is shut down. Um, you know, when you're faced with that, you have two choices. You either feel it to its core um, of how devastating that kind of culture is, or you toughen up and you pretend it doesn't exist and you become one of the boys. And unfortunately, that is the approach that nearly all men take because that's the type of masculinity that we're, we're taught to embody and live by. And it was very interesting listening to your, your former speaker there talk about that exact thing that we've got to open up and express. Mm. But what's very interesting is when you look at men, they know they want to express, but quite often when they go to open up, they physically can't. Mm. And and we call it a, a mental health thing or we call it a, you know, a psychological thing. But in truth, that lack of ability to express vulnerability is actually a physical issue. In other words, when, when a guy wants to express and say, I love you, there's something about the way that his body is physically, from the way he has physically hardened himself to the world, that actually makes that a lot more difficult to, to do. It's very interesting that you you talk about that and you take it there because um, an interview that I've done that I'm not sure I'll have time to play today um, was with um, Megan Adrian, who I'll play tomorrow if I don't get to it today. And it does talk about the correlation between the body and the emotions and actually being able to express. Uh, they have to they have to be able to connect with their body first because the hardening that that is lived. Um, means that they don't recognize emotions in the same way. And really saying I love you is no different in terms of the the protection as uh, being able to express a frustration on a building site without it actually getting into anger and then being misunderstood and then frustration and so on and so forth. And then you're in an anger management group before you know it. Look, it's a really good point and... Um I didn't really know how this interview was going to unfold because really 20 minutes isn't enough to talk about this problem. Mm-hmm. But look at the root cause if you really look at suicide. Um, there's two things. The first is that we need to be very delicate with this subject because it is a very delicate subject. But ultimately, suicide is irresponsible. It's hugely irresponsible. And that's something that has to be acknowledged. But what is the irresponsibility? Because by the time a person goes to commit suicide, they actually don't feel like they have another choice. And that's understandable. And so how do you ultimately prevent suicide? Well, the answer is ultimately very simple in that it's connection. And the only way I can really support that by way of evidence is if, I mean, this is a Sydney channel and you guys would be very familiar with, there was a gentleman whose name eludes me at the moment, but I think he was called the Angel of Darling Harbour, was it? Yes. Uh, uh, the Gap. The Gap. At the Gap, the Angel of the Gap, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, Don Ritchie. Yeah. So over the years, he saved something like 160 people from yeah. suicide. Yeah. And and the story goes, well, how did you do it? And he said, I just used to ask them how they were and ask them down for a cup of tea. Yeah. Connection. But the truth is, is yeah. that in that moment, those people felt that someone was actually meeting them for who they were. Yeah. And that is so powerful. And if you actually take that back to the building industry, that doesn't happen because you've got men who've grown up in the same hardship um, who just don't know how to connect with other men or, or connect with their apprentices. And I, and I suppose what I wanted to come back to um, in terms of, of physicality is that men don't realise how harsh they are and they've lost connection with their bodies. And as a result of that, when they speak in frustration or anger towards their apprentice, for example, I would say that most of them honestly do not know how harsh that is sounding. Mm. And if they did, they'd perhaps be more reflective upon it. And so when you talk about feeling uh, emotions and being able to express and and feel what is going on, um, which is, you can't just rely on the mind. And, you know, so, so many men, when they try to first rationalize, deal with their, you know, psychologically what's going on, they're, they're very quick to rationalize and reason. But 
they're trying to reason with something that is not reasoning or reasonable. Mm. And quite often you feel emotions towards things that you, you can't reason with. Um, and so the relationship to understanding um, and learning to open up and express actually is something that comes from physicality, from the body, and not necessarily from the reasoning mind. Because if it did, we'd have a lot more success of dealing with this problem than we currently do. Yeah, and uh, part of this is actually rebalancing what people call normal. So if you've grown up in a house where you're being shouted at the whole time, then actually it's quite normal to speak to someone else like that. And you might actually think that you might soften it slightly and think that you're being kinder or more caring, but actually you've... you've <laughs> your, your bar for normal is so skewed that actually it still comes across as abusive. So these young apprentices coming in, they might have come from that. And so, you know, the softening, the sl- the little, the toning down of the, uh, the harsh way of speaking might well be uh, fine for them because it's better than what they get at home, but also uh, it just might be normal, might be what they expect. So there is a, there is a lot of... is definitely part of it, mm-hmm. and... When you look at masculinity per se, it's really an emerta, or, or by that mean there's a, there's a silent agreement amongst all men, and that is that you don't, you don't mention the way men are, basically. We don't, we don't talk about it. And I remember growing up as a, as a young boy, and um, sport's very similar um, in that it's quite brutal. And when you're, when you're a kid playing sport, it's treated differently to when you get to, say, rep level or you get to... A grade and you play amongst men mm. and it's quite brutal and the thing is when you're a young boy you are clocking men and I was very interested in what that last speaker said about you know men say one thing but they don't live it and and you know young young kids uh, boys and girls they're not silly they're very very perceptive of the world that it is and very very vulnerable to to um or very very easily able to work out what makes the world work and yeah. what will be acceptable and what won't. And so young boys aren't stupid. They know they're tender. They know they're open. They know they're expressive. But when they look out to role models in the world, what role model do they have? So they very, very quickly work out how to play the game. And so, you know, the level of shutdown that occurs occurs well before 17 for men. Mm. You know, it occurs more around the age of 10, 11, 12 especially. Oh, so young. Yeah, and it's a conscious choice. Yeah. Uh, young boys, I know we say it's subconscious and, and a lot of the time it is, but at some point the boy does look at the world and, and decide that, well, that's the way men are and that's the way I should be too. Mm. Now, um, changing slightly, one of the comments in the blog that really struck me was it did, we, you talk about the culture of the environment and we can do this as a, we can do this specifically with the building industry or we can do it you know, more nationally, globally. It's the individuals who make culture and not the other way around. And that's very important because what you're talking about here is that we can be that change that we want to see in the world. We don't have to wait for the culture to change. You know, it may never, but we can start that change. And if enough people do, we actually change a culture. Look, one person can enact change Mm. and one person in truth can enact change. Um... You know, one becomes two, becomes four, becomes eight, 16, 32, 64, 128, etc. So, you know, it's very easily to get overwhelmed by, by culture and, and, and give up. And that's the problem, is that too many people know something is wrong, mm. but they give up in the face of it and say, well, I'll just put up and shut up. Mm. And so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy culture, mm. like. Um, and it isn't comfortable. It isn't comfortable to to make a difference. It isn't comfortable to to be to be different, um, especially if you walk a certain way. That that um, by the way you walk actually, you know, makes people feel uncomfortable because they can see you're making choices that they know they could easily make. Which you know, men in, men in building once you get to know them, they're not tough and rough. Yeah, and they want to open up and they want to engage but they need to feel safe. And the problem with the building industry is you don't feel safe from the moment you walk on the site. And I'm not talking physical safety in terms of health and safety. 
I'm talking here about feeling safe enough to express. Mm. And because men don't feel safe, they don't open up and they will not open up until they feel safe. Right. Your safety is a huge, huge thing for men. They, they need to feel safe in order to feel that they won't be judged and, and um, ridiculed for, as the previous caller said, for, for feeling vulnerable. Yeah, and funnily enough, that's the strength of, of his workshops, which was what really struck me, was how he creates that space, because he knows that you have to create that space for men to feel, to allow themselves to feel vulnerable in front of other men, because that's not the experience that you've had in the past, that it's safe. So now, how are you bringing change to your workplace? It's a good question because the first thing is you can't be attached to bringing change to your workplace. Mm. And it comes back to a little bit of what I was saying before is that if you think you're going to go out there and change the world, then that's that's a huge burden on your shoulders. And the truth is it's not... It's not each individual's responsibility to change the world, but it is their responsibility to live what they, they believe is true. So without perfection, because the building industry has a lot of constrictions that make it uh, quite stressful, um, I'm a building foreman, so I have responsibilities to see things finished on time, etc., etc. And there's a lot of stuff outside of your control, so frustration is a big issue for anyone in the in the building industry. But that aside, the thing that I, I try to treasure most with, with everybody I meet is to actually meet them and realise that they're not a resource. My, my industry has this horrible thing of calling people resources. They don't even call it labour anymore. They're called resources. Oh, you just need to increase your resources is what I get told at work. And they get more resources in. But what is a resource? The resource is a human being. And a human being is full of imperfections and frailties. And so you're not talking about, you know, putting another computer chip in a computer. You're very, very restrained by physicality when it comes to building. And so I'm very, very respectful of that. I'm very, very respectful of the fact that men need to learn to look after themselves. I'm very respectful of the fact as well that if you ask a man to deliver, because of the imposition we place on men and, and this ideal they carry that their, their worth is defined by what they do, the chances are they'll do whatever you ask them to do, do just to prove it, just to prove that they can. And so sometimes you have to protect men from themselves and you've got to say, hey, you need a break, you know. Mm. And it's that element of humanity that we've got to bring back to building and that, that's what I tend to do in my position most of the time. Apart from the fact, as I said, to me it's about connection and it's always about connecting with people beyond what they bring by way of their qualifications. So, yes, a guy comes to me and I respect him as a plumber, but when I talk to him, I don't talk to him as a tradesman or a plumber. Uh, I just meet him as, as I would any other person in the street. And that in itself is actually what's needed in this industry. We've got to break the bubble um, where we identify each other by the roles we play and, and get beyond that if we really want to see change. Oh, thank you very much. Um, that's that's a lot for us to take on um, and to to understand. So I'm going to make it a standalone um, interview afterwards, so people can listen back to it because uh, there's a lot in there, Adam. And I really appreciate you taking the time to try and share a big subject in a short amount of time. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Lucy. Uh, no doubt we will have a longer conversation, perhaps, where we can expand on some of those subjects. Sure, anytime. Lovely. Take care. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. So, well, there you go. As Albert Einstein says, the world is a dangerous place to live, not because of the people who are evil, but because of the people who don't do anything about it. And clearly, Adam is not a bystander, and he isn't attached to what, to changing his... Uh, workplace. He is the change in his workplace and hopefully by inspiration it cha- it uh, shows others how to connect and how to be with each other. So uh, a great conversation to have there and I'm sure that if you listen back to that interview you will find um, 
a lot in there that is worth contemplating and uh, listening to further. Now, we're going to have a little bit of music now. We have got Raspberry Beret by Prince, which will lead us into our, our group chat, our conversation around, um, it's going to be our panel discussion. It's very exciting. I have David Siter, Dr. Jeffrey McGrath, and Stephen Gamak who are joining us. Our panel discussion talking about how is men's health affected by their well-being, which actually is perfect after just speaking to Adam and uh, to Tom. Good, uh, good follow-up. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM on International Men's Day. And doesn't look like my file is going to play, which is slightly odd. See if I can get that going. I do apologize. Hmm, frozen. Sorry, guys. Uh, I might have to. I might have to play something off some off uh, my other computer. So, um, yes. All right. Let's have something from here. We are going to have. Um, oh, I think beautiful young brother by Ash Dean. That's always gorgeous. Let's go for that one. Or is that not going to play? We might be struggling with anything to play today. There you go. Ashdeen, young brother. Triple H, 100.1 FM, International Men's Day. Let's fade out the left and it seems to fade away. Stuck on a runway train I want to get off 